Wow, Sherwood, can I just tell you, this is uh, a highlight for me. And uh, as my brother Ken shared with you, for, for 23 years, I had the opportunity to serve as a student pastor first um, at a church called Peace Baptist Church in Atlanta. And then uh, the last three years um, of that time, I served as executive pastor. And it was interesting because, you know, I learned quickly that, you know, being in an executive pastor ministry role is, you know, it's really just student ministry to adults, right? And, uh, and so a lot of the similar issues and, and challenges and struggles and stuff, but it's just adults. But prior, well, you know, um, maybe four years ago, my wife and I got a call and that uh, we felt the call, the call of the Lord leading us to a place called Student Leadership University in Orlando, Florida. And, uh, and it was, I was telling the students this for our D-Now weekend, it was interesting moving from Atlanta to Orlando because in Atlanta, you know, you would see deer, you know, just kind of galloping around. I would go out in my backyard and say, hey, Rudolph. And, um, and so... But then when I got to Orlando, I quickly realized two things. Number one, Mickey Mouse is the mayor. And number two, alligators are the residents as well there. And, um, and fun fact, I remember asking church, I remember asking God when we first got there, hey, what do you do if you see an alligator? And, uh, you know, and I said, do you outrun it? He says, well, you know, they can run really fast for short distances. I said, well, I got short legs. That's not going to work. And, uh, and then I said, well, what do you do? He said, well, hit it in the nose because, you know, it messes up the equilibrium. <laughs> I was like, dude, do you see these arms? Like, I have to get fairly close to the alligator to get to hit it in the nose, and I probably will draw back a nub, you know. Um, and so it was really, really interesting to, to be there. And I just want to tell you that there in Florida, they have tried to convert me to a Florida Gator fan, but I refuse in the name of Jesus. I am a UGA man through and through. Go dogs, go dogs, amen. And, uh, but what an honor it is to stand before you guys. I can just tell you that this amazing ministry is known around the world, and I have been a fan of this great church for many, many years. And I'm so grateful for leaders like Pastor Michael. I'm grateful for leaders like Pastor Jim and Pastor Garrett, and, and now you have some amazing student pastors in Dalton and Tim. And so I'm just grateful to stand at this sacred desk to share with God's people. Um, I have three amazing boys. Uh, one is 25. He just graduated from Kennesaw State University um, last December, I think. I, I think that's when I, got, I gave him an invoice. And, um, and then we have, we have, um, we have our, our, our 22-year-old middle son. He is also at Kennesaw State. He actually graduates in May, and so we're excited about that. But the best, the best thing is about to happen for us, my wife and I, in May as well. So on a Friday, uh, CJ, our youngest, will graduate from Kennesaw State. But then on that Monday, um, our baby boy, Cameron, he will graduate from high school. So that means that on that Monday, my wife and I will be official empty nesters. Hallelujah. Right? And, uh, 
And so we're excited. I've heard, I've asked a lot of parents, like, how, what do you do, you know, as empty nesters? And, you know, I've gotten the warning that, hey, they can come back. And I said, mm, not in my house. And, uh, and so if I had girls, maybe, you know, they can come back. They can stay even when they're married. Their husbands couldn't come, but they could. And, uh, but, but boys, no, I want to send them out. And, uh, and so I was sharing with our students that my wife and I, we have this plan that when Cameron graduates from high school, we're going to have to stay for the majority of the, the graduation because he's a Wallace, so, you know, we got to stay and hear him, you know, they call the name. So we're going to scream, ah! But then after that, we're going to become black rednecks and we're going to get in a RV. We're going to have a case of Mountain Dew and some beef jerky and we're going to go from one side of this great country to the other. And, uh, and we're just looking forward to doing that. In Jesus' name, amen. And, uh, and so, so that is, that's, that's the new season, the, the season that's approaching for us. So we're really excited about that. But guys, I, I'm not going to take up much time. I want to talk this morning from this topic entitled, Made for the Moment, Living on Purpose. Made for the Moment, Living on Purpose. Why? Because I believe that as God has used Sherwood Baptist Church for many years to do incredible ministry, that, that there needs to be a reminder that there is still great ministry to be done. Can we say amen? And that God wants to continue not to start, but to continue using Sherwood Baptist Church to facilitate revival, not just here in the city, but around the world. That God wants to continue to use the great men and women who are a part of this great church to facilitate a move of God like never before. And sometimes we have to be reminded, especially when we go through things like a global pandemic that rock our world and really alter the way that we have to do ministry, sometimes that we, ha we have to be reminded that we are still made for the moment that we're in. Because when, when things happen, when ups and downs, ins and outs, trials and tribulations and situations and circumstances happen, sometimes if we're honest, our faith can still be weary or get weary. And I think that it's important for us to be reminded of this truth, that regardless of what's going on in our lives, that we are still made for this moment. And even though this global pandemic may have caught us off guard, can I just tell you, it didn't catch God off guard. And he is still the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. And God wants to still use this amazing church to do great things for the kingdom. God wants to still use this amazing church to be a hospital for the hurting, to give hope to those who feel hopeless, to, to help people understand that they're called to be game changers and impactors of culture and to, and to be salt in life. And so I want to look at a very familiar passage of Scripture in Jeremiah chapter 1. And I love this passage because it is a great reminder for us to, to say and to know that we are made for this moment. And so in the book of Jeremiah, the first chapter, verses 4 through 10, verses 4 through 10, the Bible says this. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you as a prophet to the nation. Then I said, O Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak because I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them for I 
am with you to save you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hands and he touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I put my words in your mouth. I uh, see I have appointed you this day over nations and over kingdoms to root out, to tear down, to destroy, to overflow, to build, and to plant. Father God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for being the great God who knew us before we were in our mother's womb. And so, Father God, I pray right now that you will remove Jeff and that you will speak through me, that your word will come forth with power and conviction and clarity. God, that we can be reminded in this moment that we're made for the moment. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this great ministry. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The word Jeremiah, church, actually means Jehovah appoints. Jehovah appoints. And Jeremiah, when, we, when we're introduced to him, Jeremiah, uh, he was one of the priests who was a descendant of the priestly line of Aaron. And so we know that, that this book, this book opens up and it, it introduces the reader to this, 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 this uh, priest named Jeremiah. And, and his background and his call into the prophetic ministry is kind of where we, we kind of meet him right here and we encounter Jeremiah in this particular text. Because he was born a priest but yet he was functioning as a prophet. He received a word from the Lord, and the Lord's word that came to him changed the very trajectory of his life. And I want to suggest to you, regardless of where you are functioning right now, regardless of what your role is, not just here in the church, but in life, rather, it is as a, as a parent, a grandparent, a son, a daughter, a husband, a wife. Yes, you have certain earthly roles, but can I tell you, there is another role that the Lord has for you to fulfill. And Jeremiah, Jeremiah, he heard this word from the Lord. And many scholars believe that God called Jeremiah somewhere around the 13th year of the reign of Josiah. And Josiah became king of Judah around 640 BC, we know. But when we look at this particular passage of scripture, in this text, God kind of reveals church a couple of things to us, just a reminder, a reminder to all of us that he is still a bad man right? He, he reveals in, in this text that he has a divine omniscience, divine omniscience. And what that means is that he is a one who knows everything. He says this to Jeremiah when he opens up the text and he says, hey, before you were born, I knew you. Before you were formed in the womb, I knew you. And this reminds us, church, that we serve an all-seeing all-knowing God. But he's not just omniscient, he's also omnipotent. Omnipotent, this speaks to the quality of having unlimited power. He says, I chose you, I called you, I sanctified you. And it takes a lot of divine power, church, to consecrate a person just as much as it takes a lot of divine power to create a person. And, and, and we know that, that God didn't just create Jeremiah, God didn't just create us, he also spoke to us and he spoke to Jeremiah, he consecrated us. 
And when he's, when he's talking about this idea of Jeremiah, hey, listen, you know, before you were formed, I, I knew you. Before you were in your mother's womb, I, I, I knew you. It speaks to this reference of when we really hear the truth of how great God is in John 1 and 1. When he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so we know that he is not only a God who is all-knowing, but he's also a God who is all-powerful. Can we say amen? But then it also speaks, this text, this text, it speaks to the divine ordination of God. He says, man, listen, you know what? I'm going to set you apart. I'm going to set you aside. Because there is something significant that I want you to do, that you're made for this moment right here. And here's the thing, church, that I want you to know, that the standards of man are far different than the status of God. And when you are a person who is known, who is consecrated, who is set apart by the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God, that's saying something. That's saying to you and I that we are not a mistake in this moment didn't catch God off guard, that we are made for this moment. And it's important that as the church of Jesus Christ, we continue to remember this truth that we are made for the moment and God is calling us to live a life on purpose and not by accident. That means that we must wake up every morning understanding, God, this is the day that you have made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it, and I'm going to live on purpose. I'm going to live out the plan and the purpose that you have for my life. I'm going to do what you've called me to do. I'm going to be who you've called me to be. I'm going to go where you've called me to go, and I'm going to say, God, what you've called me to say. See, I believe, church, that there's three common questions that we all in our life we have asked at one point in our lives or we're asking right now. The first question is the question of existence, existence. We ask the question, why am I alive? Why am I here? You know, that, that's the first question that we ask. We're, we're wondering about our own existence, right? We're, we're this idea of living on purpose, you know, I'm here, yes, but why am I here? The second question that many of us ask in some point in our life is about significance. So not just the, the existence, but it's also about significance. Does my life really matter? I know I'm a member of Sherwood Baptist Church, but does my life really matter? Because none of us just want to wake up in the morning all willy-nilly and just do whatever. No, we want to know that one, we want to know why we exist, but then two, we want to understand what is the, the significance in our life. Does my life matter? But then the third, and I believe one of the most important questions we ask is about the intentions, the intentions of God. And is there a purpose for my life? I know that I have accomplished great things in this life, but what is the true purpose? See, there is a difference between earthly accomplishments versus living out your godly purpose. And so these are the three questions that we often ask. And I believe that there's three things that we can really extract from Jeremiah 1, 4 through 10, that Jeremiah not only, um, excuse me, that the Lord not only told Jeremiah, but he's also telling you and I this morning. The first thing that the Lord told Jeremiah in this text, and he says, number one, Jeremiah, remember your identity. Remember your identity. In verse number five, he says, I knew you consecrated you and I appointed you 
And he says, Jeremiah, you must know that your identity is not tied to status and stuff. Your identity is not tied to the things that you acquire here in this world because the things of this world is temporary. But living out your purpose, church, is how we live with eternal life. We we live with eternal life as our destination. He says, hey, remember your identity. Yes, my name is Jeff Wallace, but can I tell you I am a child of God. That's my identity. And when I know who I am and I know whose I am, I look differently, I talk differently, I walk differently, I think differently because I know that my identity is tied into Christ, being a Christ follower. And when that becomes my primary identity, being a Christ follower church, then my my secondary responses operate accordingly. I respond to everything else in this world, not through the lens of carnality or worldliness or culture. No, no, no. I respond as a son of the living God, as a Christian. I am a Christian first before anything else. And because that is my primary perspective and identity, then my secondary response flows through the perspective and the lens of the gospel. When our identity is tied into worldliness, we can never respond to things the way that the Lord thy God called us to respond to. And so he tells Jeremiah, Jeremiah, listen, buddy. He says, listen, I need for you to remember your identity. And your identity is I not only knew you before you were even formed, but I consecrated you and I appointed you. Basically what God is telling Jeremiah, hey man, listen, I put my hands on you and I stamped, I gave a stamp of approval and I said, this is my son who I'm well pleased. So the first thing that we know that the Lord told Jeremiah here in our text, he says to Jeremiah, he says, Jeremiah, you must remember your identity. But the second thing, church, that he tells Jeremiah, he says, not only do you remember your identity, but number two, you must resist insecurity. Resist, resist, resist insecurity. Now, the Lord gives Jeremiah this great declaration. He says, hey, Jeremiah, listen, buddy, I knew you, I consecrated you, I appointed you. Not only just to, to, to be a prophet, but a prophet unto the nations. And Jeremiah's response to God was like, hey, that's kind of cool, but I'm too young. I don't know what to say. No one's going to listen to me. And there was insecurities that seeped into Jeremiah in that particular moment. Now, he's talking about his youthfulness, but, but the, the, the true essence of what Jeremiah is saying is, I don't know if I'm made for this moment. I don't know if I have what it takes. I don't have enough degrees. I don't, I don't have uh, enough Bible uh, class in my belt. I don't, I don't have enough expertise. I've not been a Christian that long. I don't know if I can really speak on your behalf, God. Or I don't know if I can be a representative of you. And there are some insecurities within us. And the reason why we don't really go after lost souls like we should, church, I believe is because sometimes we don't know if we have it within us to share our faith without fear. And, and God says, Jeremiah, he says, man, no, 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 Jeremiah. He says, don't say in verses 8 and, and uh, 7 and 8, he says, don't say I am young because wherever I send you, you will go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. 
And here's how he, he tells him. He says, Jeremiah, listen, don't be afraid of them. Why? Because I am with you. See, when God's for you, who could be against you? When God's with you, when he's riding shotgun in the, in the car, man, listen, it's all good. When God is for you, church, guess what? The fight is fixed and we already have won. And so I don't have to live in a place of insecurity because I know who my heavenly father is. And I know, who I, I know who I am. I know that the reason why I'm here today is because I'm made for this moment right here. The reason why I'm living and I'm breathing and I'm walking and I'm talking is because I'm made for this moment right here. And no matter how young or not so young we are in this place, we are still made for the moment. And the Lord your God still wants to use you for a time such as now. As long as there are lost people in this world, there is still something for you and I to do. So he tells Jeremiah, Jeremiah, you have to resist the insecurities of feeling like I am not equipped enough to do the work that you're calling me to do. Sure, what can I tell you? Can I just tell you that the Lord still wants to do some great things here in this amazing church? He still wants to use Sherwood collectively to be a facilitator of revival to take place in our land. Not just in the Jerusalem of Albany, Georgia, but in the Judeas and the Samarias and the ends of this world, ends of this earth. He wants to use us. He says, you can't, as the individual members of this body, you must resist insecurities. And, and, and when the Lord says, hey, I want to use you, you can't say, ooh, I don't know if I can do it. So he tells Jeremiah, Jeremiah, you must resist insecurities. So he's not going to say, remember your identity. Doesn't just say resist insecurities. But here's my favorite part. Number three, he says, you must reject conformity or traditionalism. He says, you must reject conformity or traditionalism. At the end of the text in verse number 10, church, he says this. He says, see, I have appointed you this day over nations, over kingdom. And here's what he's called us to do, to root out and to tear down, to destroy, to overflow, to build, and to plant. What he's saying to Jeremiah and what he's saying to us is you got to have a whatever-it-takes attitude. When it comes to to being salt and light, when it comes to going after lost people with everything we have, hey, there may, there may need to be some, tra- some non-traditional ways that we do it. When I was growing up, I remember I used to love, love, love uh, one of the dear sisters of our church, Miss Caldwell. And Miss Caldwell had this blue El Camino, right? And, uh, and, and students, you don't know what an El Camino is. It's a car that's a truck. It's a car and truck kind of combined. And, uh, and we had this El Camino, and every Saturday at Lakeview Baptist Church, what we would do is we would go out and we would hand out these Roman road tracks, right? We would go from house to house in the neighborhood, you know, hand out the Roman road tracks. Now, I'll be honest with you, church, when, when you know, when I was young, um, you know, in life, the only thing that I needed to go and pass out some Roman road tracks was a commitment from Miss Caldwell that she was going to take me to McDonald's afterwards. And if she promised that I would go to McDonald's afterwards, hey, I would pass out as many Roman road tracks as needed. 
And so every Saturday we would load up and we'd be in the back, me and some of my friends would be in the back of Miss Caldwell's El Camino and we'll just go and we're, we're passing them out, we're passing them out, passing out the Roman road track. We're inviting people to come to church. Well, after a while, some people, they stopped answering the door because they knew we were coming. They was like, oh, here come those kids wanting McDonald's. Because I, I was just honest. I didn't know. I was, you know, I was trying to say, hey, you know, here's the, you know, here's the Rome Road track. I want to invite you to church. Do you know Jesus and everything? And people who would be mean to me, and I say, please, sir, if they didn't want to take my track. I say, please, sir, if you don't take this track, Miss Caldwell won't take me to McDonald's. <laughs> I, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to say that. That wasn't in our training, right? And, uh, and, and so, so I said, please. And so, so they, 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 they got to a point where they didn't care whether I went to McDonald's or not. So what we had to do is we had to kind of change it up a little bit. And so we stopped doing the, the weekly Roman Rose track, and then we started having like quarterly events and just, you know, just flipping it up a little bit. And sometimes, sometimes it's not that the gospel is stale because the gospel church will never be stale. The good news gospel is still the greatest message of all mankind, and it is the only message that this world needs right now. And so we understand that what we have is what is needed, but maybe we have to be a little non-traditional in how we present it to the world. And so maybe we can't just jump into somebody's face and say, hey, do you know Jesus, your Savior and Lord? Maybe you just have to have a cup of coffee with somebody and just start doing life with them and just seeing what's going on in their life and just being present with them. But the reality is what the Lord told Jeremiah is this. He says, hey, Jeremiah, you got to reject the idea of traditionalism because I need for you to be a person who's willing to, to, to root out, to tear down, to destroy, to overflow, to build, and to plant. And this, this, this life that we're called to live as Christ followers, it is a marathon and not a sprint. So we got to pace ourselves. We got to understand that God is calling us to plant seeds. And some of the seeds that we plant today may not grow and mature and manifest itself for days, weeks, months, and years to come. So we know that we have to reject traditionalism. So what does it mean is to, to live a life on purpose, church? Well, living on purpose requires us to do three quick things that I just want to share, and then we're going to go home or to the next phase of life right now today. And living on purpose, number one, you just got to embrace the ambiguity. When we live on purpose, we must embrace the ambiguity. I love what the great Dr. Tony Evans once said. He says, faith is acting like it is so, even when it is not so, in order that it might be so, simply because God said so. See, as Christ follows, when we live our life on purpose, it doesn't mean that we're going to live a life with a lot of clarity at times. We understand that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So we understand that we got to, as, as Christ followers, embrace the ambiguity, embrace the unknown, embrace the moments where we don't get what's happening in our world, but we know that God is still the omniscient, omnipresent, all-knowing, all-loving God. So number one, we got to embrace the ambiguity, but then number two, we got to push through adversity. We got to push through adversity. I love what Paul says to, to young Timothy there in 1 Timothy 4 and 7. He says, man, I fought the good fight, finished the race, kept the faith. 
We got to push through. There's going to be moments in ministry where things are going to be really, really good. And then there's going to be moments when things are going to be really bad. There's going to be moments when it's going to be kind of like seasons of plateau. But we got to be committed as we know that we're made for this moment, church. We got to push through the adversity. There's going to be moments in our world where we're going to be divided on some issues and some topics. And we got to push through all of that. We don't fold our arms. We don't fight our brothers and sisters. No, ma'am, no, sir. We push through that. We push through it. Why? Because we have the greatest message of all mankind, which is the gospel. So we don't fight based on labels or positions. We fight from the perspective of knowing that the good news gospel is relevant in spite of our labels, our titles, and our affiliations. So we got to push through the adversity. But then the third thing that we know is that, which is the most important, after we embrace the ambiguity, after we push through the adversity, the third thing that we must do is we got to rest in God's authority. We got to rest, rest in God's authority. That in the midst of all that's going on, he's still God and he's still good. Hebrews 13 and 5 says, he reminds us that never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So you can rest in my authority. I'm always here. I'm always with you. I'm never going to let you go. Things of this world, people in this world, they may forsake you. They may let you go. They may, they may do things that doesn't feel good to your flesh. But God said, man, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And then I love Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. All and all and all and all and all of your ways. Submit to him, and he will make your path straight. So what do you do with what you know? It's one thing to be a hearer of God's word, but it's another to be a doer of God's word. And I believe in this moment that we're in right now, we must be reminded that no matter how long you have been affiliated or a part of Sherwood Baptist Church, man, you're you just need to be reminded that you're still made for the moment and there's still work to be done. But then maybe there are some who you're visiting for the very first time and you walked in this place not really knowing who you are or whose you are. Can I just tell you, you're not what the world says you are. You're so much more. And the reason why I can say that with such surety because I know a man who died on Calvary's cross for you, who exchanged his life for yours, who paid your sin debt. And when he paid that sin debt for you, it was finished, it was done, never to be placed on you again. And when he took his last breath and said, it is finished, that's when you were in life able to take your first. And because of what I know, I can stand flat-footed, all five foot five of me. And I can say that the Lord your God wants you to know that you are made for this moment. You're made for this moment. When I walk around this amazing facility, I'm in awe of all of the accolades and the awards and the accomplishments that Sherwood has done over the years. And it's amazing that all of those things are. I want to ask a question. What if he wants you to do more? What if he wants you to do more? What if he wants you to go further, faster? What if he wants you to reach more people? What if he wants you to open up more hope centers? 
What if, what if, what if, and you fill in the blanks? I believe that God wants to do something significant in this place. He wants to continue, excuse me, he wants to continue to do something significant in this place. But what he needs more than anything else is he needs willing vessels. So as every head is bowed and every eye is closed real quick, I'm going to ask the band if they would come and join me here. And I'm going to ask if our men also will come and join us here down front. And church, here's what I know. I know that no matter how I preach God's word, no matter what I say to you this morning, Nothing matters until you respond to what you've heard. Nothing matters until you acknowledge that you need to take the challenge and say, hey, you know what? I am made for this moment. And so obviously the first and most important invitation that I want to extend to you today is the invitation of salvation. Salvation. It's the greatest invitation that anyone who's a believer can extend to anyone else. It is this idea of recognizing that even though you're in the pit, even though you're in misery and mess, you're in struggle, you have guilt, shame, your own insecurities, that Jesus died for you so that you can have life and life more abundantly. He died so that you can remember your identity He died so you wouldn't have any more insecurities. He died so that you can know that he has all power in his hands and he wants to love you and take care of you. So if you've never received Jesus as your Savior and Lord, it's really simple. It's just praying a simple prayer that says this, Dear Lord, my name is Jeff, and I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Right here, right now, this moment. I want to acknowledge that I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for me, for me. And I want to confess him as my Lord and Savior. I want to be saved. It's first invitation. Second invitation is maybe for many of you, and I know for our students, Brother Garrett shared this last night, maybe you've not ever uh, been baptized and you want to be baptized. We believe here at Sherwood Baptist in believer's baptism. I think that's so important because it's an outward expression of an inward commitment that you're making. So maybe you want to be baptized. Or maybe, number three, you just want to have prayer. Somebody, you want somebody to pray for you because you're going through, you have some issues, you have some things that are going on, you have some stuff that you need to, to deal with. And these great men here want to pray for you or direct you where you need to go. So three invitations, one for salvation, second for baptism, and then third for prayer. Is there one who will come right now for either one of those three invitations? Salvation, baptism, or prayer? Is there one? Definitely not here to push or to embarrass. No, we're here as men who, and women who love you and a church who loves you. So is there one? Salvation, baptism, prayer will come. Is there one?
want to encourage you. Because I understand that sometimes it's just a little tough getting up in front of a room full of people. So we have leaders who will be around throughout, and that, that's you. Man, at some point that you'll just find someone, just grab one of these gentlemen's arms and let them know the decisions you're making. And so as I'm going to pray, but if you still want to make decisions, you can. Let me pray. And then we're going to have a time of worship. God, thank you so much for what you're doing here in this place. Thank you so much for this amazing ministry. Thank you for leaders like Pastor Michael, Pastor Jim, Pastor Garrett, Tim, Dalton, and all the leaders that are here. God, I thank you. And God, I thank you for a great reminder that we can remember that in spite of all that's going on in the world, that we're made for this moment and you're calling us, Father, to live on purpose. Now, God, I pray that you would just honor this time that we will have of worship and we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a hand clap of praise and worship him.